This is WKCS 91.1 FM, Falcon Radio, with another episode of In Session with Jed McKeon, Knoxville lawyer and Fulton graduate. This is your host, Sarah Emery, here with Matthew White, and today we'll be talking about the grand jury in criminal court. Now, before we start, um, Jed, can you give us a quick overview of what we le- we talked about last week? Sure, Sarah. So, last week we talked about the initial process from getting arrested and why people are arrested that they have broken some law typically of the state of Tennessee and then they go to jail and then they are required to post a bond after they go to jail and then at that point they typically hire an an attorney they will go to general sessions court for their arraignment then they will have their regular general sessions court dates where eventually at some point they will have a preliminary hearing. And if you're in Knox County, all of those items happen down at the city county building and one of the uh, four general sessions courts. Um, And those are just courts that you are trying to negotiate out a deal or potentially get your case dismissed. Now, after you go through the general sessions process, and let's say you have a preliminary hearing and the judge decides that your case is bound over to the grand jury, what that means is, is that the DAs, totally one-sided, will present their side of the case to the grand jury. Now, the grand jury meets in secret, and these jurors get summoned for jury duty just like uh, potential jurors do in the county. Uh, They are picked at random, and they get sent notices in the mail to show up for grand jury duty. And at that point, the DAs will present evidence to them to say, this is why we want you to issue an indictment for this person to be arrested or charged with this offense. Now, the grand jury can decide not to indict that person. They say, well, there's not enough evidence here for us to uh, return a true bill is what it's called. There's a lot of legal terms. But say they say, we don't think this person should be charged with murder. There isn't enough evidence to it. Unfortunately, from what I've heard is most grand juries just rubber stamp whatever the DAs want them to. The DAs present a case and the grand juries just say, okay, you think there's a case? Well, we agree with you. Let's get out of here. We want to be here for the shortest amount of time possible. So um, the grand jury is presented with evidence, and this this happens on various times. And then uh, the DAs, if if your case went through the general sessions level, they will send out a notice for you to be arraigned in in criminal court. Now, there's the chance that the D, you didn't go through the general sessions level and the detectives have done an investigation and the DAs have presented evidence this person should be charged with murder. Well, you're not going to go through the general sessions uh, court process on a murder charge and they will pr- uh, present an indictment for that. If you're indicted on a murder charge, then they will, the officers will go and arrest you for the very first time, and you will have to make a bond at that point and then go to your arraignment. Mm-hmm. So uh, what does indict mean? Okay, that I- indictment is a legal term that just means that the grand juries have decided that there is um, reasonable cause to believe that that charge which the DAs want them to charge has been admitted and they are being indicted saying you have to appear at court 
and give and defend yourself against this us presenting this charge against you um so essentially it's just a mechanism by saying we believe that this has happened and we're going to let the da's go forward on this case Mm -hmm. so what else besides murder can put you in criminal court okay any felony case is a matter that is something that criminal court would handle now you might ask what a felon felony charge is and that's something that is uh, punishable by more than one year in jail mm-hmm. so um, how long how, how does a judge decide how long someone will be in jail or where they're going to go for to serve their time okay that's an excellent question so when someone gets charged with a uh, something that is a felony and ends up in criminal court what they will do is they will, uh, the Tennessee law has dictated out different ranges of levels of punishment depending on the charge. So for something like an A felony, which is the most serious, and it goes through letters, A, B, C, D, E, A being the most serious, E being the least serious. For an A felony, which would be something like a murder or a rape, you're looking at potentially 25 years in jail. An E felony, which is the minimum, you could be looking at as low as one year in jail. For misdemeanors, it is up to one year. So the maximum punishment of jail for a misdemeanor is 11 months, 29 days in jail, less than one year. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, above that is a felony charge. Okay. um, So if a defendant in criminal court is, is found not guilty, will they be released immediately? What happens is, is that if a defendant pursues a case all the way through criminal court and they have a, okay, so there's a few different steps. You'll have a bunch of court dates and say they're in jail, like what you're talking about. The process will be expedited, but they'll get appointed an attorney at their arraignment and they'll have dates where they um, are able to see the court documents. It's called filing for discovery. And then you get to the trial of the case. And there it might be set two or three times because the oldest cases get priority in setting of the trial. But when that case finally gets tried, and if the defendant is found not guilty, if they've been in jail the entire time, they are released immediately. The unfortunate part of it is, is that they don't get any compensation or any kind of payback for having sat in jail that entire time. That's just considered dead time, essentially, in in a jailhouse talk. It's time they don't get credit for. Uh, they're just, they just have to sit there until they were found not guilty. Now, if they were found guilty and the judge were, say, to sentence them to a two-year sentence and they have sat in jail for one year, they get credit for all that time back to the day they were arrested towards their sentence. So if they're sentenced to two years in jail and they've already been in a year and a half, they may only have to sit in there six more months before they're kicked out uh, as having said completed their sentence. Mm -hmm. So is there a set amount to um, the length? Like if you have three strikes or if this is just your first offense, does that uh, count to how many like years you'll get in jail or prison yes the answer is yes and how that works is is uh 
individuals are considered range one offenders, range two offenders, repeat offenders, career offenders, uh, based on their charges. So if someone is a career offender, that means they've committed that crime multiple times. If someone is a, a drug dealer, they may have committed that crime once, twice, three, four times. And so it, the more they commit that crime, the longer the sentence will be. Now for an e-felony, if you commit that crime, you probably are only gonna, one time, you're probably only gonna get one year in jail. But if it's your fifth time you've committed it, then you're looking at a significantly longer period of time in jail. Same as a DUI. A DUI is a misdemeanor. First time you get sentenced, you're going to jail for two days in all likelihood. The second DUI, you're going to jail for 45 days, which is a lot longer time. Um, can you give me just a walkthrough of the trial and what the grand jury has to do with it? Okay, sure. So you've had the grand jury present the case and present an indictment and sign off on the DAs pursuing the case. So the defendant has been arrested or told to come back for more court dates. Uh, and then they go through a discovery process where the DAs and the officers who have uh, you know, pursued the case and investigated are required to give all their documents and witness statements over to the defendant so they can review what they have and say, okay, well, I either want to try to work out a deal with them where I plead to something or, you know, I want to take it to trial because I don't think their evidence is strong enough. And then we kind of jumped ahead a little bit there and talked about the sentencing and the ranges of the mm -hmm. sentences. And so let's talk about what happens at the actual trial. Mm -hmm. So when you get to a trial, uh, there will be, this is where you have a jury that is actually there. They, these are random citizens from the county who are asked to come and be on jury duty. And they there's only 12 people on a jury in Tennessee. In some other states, they have different amounts of people who are on the jury. But in Tennessee, it's 12. And so they will bring 40 or 50 people at least in to be on jury duty. And from those 40 or 50, they will come into the courtroom. And then uh, the clerk, the judge's secretary, will pick names out of a hat and you will, these people who are picked will go and sit in the box and they will be your jurors. At that point, the defense counsel and the DA will have an opportunity to question these jurors and ask them about the case or ask them if they know the defendant or if there's a victim, if they know them. If they know them personally or are related to them, then they're able to get off the jury and then they replace those people who leave the jury with other individuals from that 40 or 50, they will come and sit in those places in the jury box. Mm -hmm. So they'll ask them questions about the case. If it's a DUI, they'll say, have you ever known anybody to be involved in, drunk drive, in a drunk driving accident? Uh, do you drink alcohol? You know, do you, do you absolutely are anti-alcohol? You think anybody who drinks it, alcohol is wrong? Things of that nature related to that specific case. And so they may knock out more jurors. And then at that point, when they finally have said, the defense and the DAs have finally said, okay, this is the jury that we want to use to try this case. And that process is a fancy Latin word called vordire. 
and that's where the defense and the DAs are actually able to talk to the jurors and, and not talk specifically necessarily about the facts of the case, but see if they can pick out a jury. So after they've picked out a jury, then they will move on to opening statements in the case. And that is where the DA who's prosecuting the case will almost always go first on every aspect of the case. And so the DA will present what their story of the case is. And then after the DA talks, the defense attorney will get to stand up and give their story of the case. So the first thing that happens is opening statements after Vordire, and the DA will go first and then the defense attorney. So for the grand jury, um, when the defendants and the uh, DA is questioning them, just to get a little like insight into them, can they sometimes be leaned in like one way or the other? Yes, and let me clarify something there. After the grand jury returns the indictment, they are not involved in the actual trial of the case. It's a totally separate trial. Uh, or a separate jury, excuse me. So the grand jury is done, they have left, and this is a new jury they've picked out for the trial. Mm -hmm. Now, going into it, there's a lot of times that they do have bias. They look at people and they they don't like the way they look, and they decide that they're going to rule against them. Or they see an attorney who is smiling and seems friendly, and so they decide they like them. Or they say, well, if someone's been charged with a crime, they must have done it. So I'm going to find them guilty regardless of what they're charged for, regardless of the evidence. And that's a real, that can be a real struggle for the DAs and the defense attorneys to ask these jurors how they, they, they say, raise your hand if you hate drunk drivers. Well, a lot of times it's hard for them to get, uh, to get the jurors to be honest because they're scared to raise their hands in front of a room full of people and because they don't want to rock the boat they don't want to admit something like that mm -hmm. so it can be hard for the uh, attorneys to actually get honest answers out of the jurors just because they're feeling peer pressure not to raise their hands or say anything to rock the boat but absolutely they can come in with bias mm -hmm. so after the DA presents and the um, defense def um, presents what what happens next Okay, so after opening statements, you will the prosecution, the DA, the prosecution and the DA are the same thing. They are prosecuting this person for a crime. They will present all of their witnesses. They will present usually the detective, any witnesses who saw the crime, a victim, and sometimes they'll have some sort of uh, doctor there or a laboratory person regarding if there was blood testing or they had to do an autopsy, they will present all of their witnesses. And after, as they question those witnesses, then each witness, the defense attorney, will have a chance to cross-examine them. So when the prosecution questions their own witnesses, that's called direct examination and then cross-examination. So each witness will get asked questions by both sides, the DA, than the defense attorney. So the prosecution is required to present all of their witnesses first, and then at that point, their case will be over. So is the, um, 
are both sides supposed to share like if they're having witnesses or evidence are they supposed to supposed to let each other know of like this is what evidence i'm going to be presenting and these are my witnesses yes and, and because the prosecution is making the case they will have a lot more evidence they've made but at the same time if the defense attorney has an alibi witness or some document that gets his client off scot-free, he is also required to present that document or witness, witness's name to the DA. So they have a chance to know that that's, so they're not, there's no surprises at trial, so that they know that's coming. They're required to present all that stuff ahead of time as well. Okay, and so at what point during the trial does the grand jury make their decision? Okay, so again, the grand jury is done, and, yeah, and the jury is um, there in the box. So after the prosecution is done, the defense attorney will present on any witnesses they may have, and they don't have to present any if they, don't, if they think the prosecution's case is bad. But they will present any witnesses they have at that point that say, okay, this person wasn't here, or he, you know, he, I've known him his whole life, he would never do that. Uh, I wasn't there on that, or I, you know, say something of, to that effect. And keep in mind, the defendant himself is not required under the Fifth Amendment to, to testify against himself or to present any testimony. And so the defendant may or may not testify. Uh, if I always tell people, if the defendant wants to testify, I will let them testify, but they're not required to. Uh, sometimes they make poor witnesses or they're not, you know, they don't uh, present real well. Um, and so I won't have them testify. But after the defense rests, then we have closing statements. And then again, the DA will go first. The defense will respond. And then the DA will get a chance to then respond to the defense's statement. So mm -hmm. you have three parts in closing, DA, defense, DA. And then after the closing statements, then the jury will get a chance to make their decision. And they will make that decision in private. They will go out of the courtroom into the jury room, which is just like a conference room. And then they will sit around there and they will talk about what they want to see the outcome be, what the evidence was, and things of that nature. And, you know, they may make their decision based on something totally random like, okay, we like that person. So let's figure out how we can get them to win. Or, you know, they may not have liked one of the police officers. So they say, well, I didn't like him. So even if he's telling the truth, I'm sure he's, a, you know, he's not likable and he arrests people all the time. So let's have the defendant win. Who knows? They're not, they're not required to say what, why they made that decision uh, at any point. Mm -hmm. But uh, the verdict has to be unanimous for guilty or not guilty. If it isn't, it's called a hung jury. And that, that usually results in them having to try a whole nother case with a whole nother jury. But whether they're uh, guilty or not guilty, after they've made their decision in the jury room, and this can take hours or minutes or days, they will come back in the room and announce their verdict to the courtroom. So how long does it take a jury usually to decide? It depends a lot. Uh, if they can't agree on anything, it will take a lot longer. If Usually it will only take a few hours because lots of juries don't want to spend the time uh, 
they're ready to be done with it normally and go on with their lives. But sometimes it can take a long time, multiple days. But in my experience, it's usually only a number of hours that they sit there and discuss what they want to see happen. So how much time does a DA have to try a defendant again, or does double jeopardy stop that? Okay, so if the ju- if it's a hung jury, um, they will usually try a case sooner rather than later, probably within a few months. This happened in that Vanderbilt rape case, and then there was a case up in, I think it was in Union or Campbell, maybe Union County recently with that neighbor who uh, they got in a fight and one of them died. There was a hung jury. They couldn't agree on anything. And so those cases got right back on the docket and set for trial. Mm -hmm. So that usually happens within a few months. Mm -hmm. And um, so what what does double jeopardy apply to? Okay, so double jeopardy means that you can't be tried twice for the same offense. So... Say I uh, was charged with murdering you, and I went through a trial, and um, you had disappeared, and they found me guilty of murdering you. So I went to jail on that. Well, then they find out uh, that you're alive, and I get out of jail, and then I do inside decide to, in <laughs> fact, murder you. So I have already been found guilty of it, went to jail for it, served my sentence, and then I come back and I actually do murder for murder you, they can't try me again for the same offense. So they'll try and find something else to do with it? They would. I would assume they would try to find some, some other charge to charge you with, but that essentially it keeps you from being charged or tried twice for the same offense. Okay. So um, one of our last questions, uh, what can happen if someone is summoned for a jury duty and does not respond or show up at all? The short answer is probably nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, lots of people get summoned for jury duty, uh, and they summon so many people because they assume that people aren't going to show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they don't show up, I don't know that they do anything. They say that they can do something to you and charge you with an offense or or something of that nature. But my understanding is, is that at least in Knox County, they don't do anything to you. Uh, You know, they don't send the officers out to your house to arrest you. They don't do anything. They just take the people who did show up and put them on the jury. Mm -hmm. All right. And that's going to wrap up our episode of In Session this week. This is WKCS 91.1 FM Falcon Radio with Jed McKeon, Knoxville lawyer and Fulton graduate. This is your host, Sarah Emery, here with Matthew White, and we'll see you again next week.